0: Okay, so Diane, um, what is your background, and how did you come to be interested in safety management?
1: So, well, thanks for having me, George. So, um, so I worked for thirty years for BP, and in the, the first fifteen years or so, I worked in the operations, and then the last fifteen years, I worked in safety. And w- well, why did I move into safety? Because being in the operations, I could see that. Um, there, it was sometimes difficult for leaders and people who were not at the sites to see the reality of what was going on. So I moved into the the safety area and I was working on safety culture and did quite a few um, pieces of work on safety culture and realised that uh, it was very difficult to manage or look at the underlying issues within a site or or, or a company uh, without working with the senior leadership. So therefore, I then moved towards mostly working with senior leadership and working on safety culture from a top-down perspective. So an example would be um, rev- revising the values and behaviors of bp which which i was very much involved with and then further working on what does it mean to live safety as a value um, and f- for example that uh, we understand how work really happens or we understand how mistakes occur and that it's caused by um, the context rather than by people so those kind of things which then they they bring about a realisation in the organisation that it's not the end users that are the problem, but in fact, anything that they do is just a reflection of other issues further up the line that have been, um, that come about by decisions that senior leaders make.
0: So, um... I'm an engineer by training and I, I don't know I want to caricature an engineer but it took me a long time to understand that there was that not only was there more to safety than the um the kind of uh nitty-gritty um, of the engineering but that but that wasn't even you know by any means the most important thing so I've been slow to in my career to, to get my to get an understanding of safety culture and I'm still grasping at it but how would you what is safety culture and, and how do you how do you how do you sort of feel it or you know kind of um, understand it?
1: Well, safety culture is the accepted way of doing things around safety in an organization and but what does a, a good safety culture look like is something that a lot of organizations In fact, don't realize they have they what most organizations think is a good safety culture is that the frontline workers follow the rules. And if they don't follow the rules, then they will be punished. Okay, that's that's what people, many organizations think. The reality. Of what is a good safety culture is that um, the senior leaders respond supportively when things don't go to plan and understand that when things don't go to plan, it's to do with many different combining factors. And so, therefore, they don't jump to blame. Now, why is this important? How on earth does responding supportively to bad news and understanding incident causation, how does that translate into safety? Well, how it translates into safety is that all those difficult to see risks and all those workarounds and all those um, dilemmas that people are dealing with every day, those become more visible because they're rather than people being told, If, for example, they're uh, trying to do a double block complete on an isolation, but yet the valves are are, are not rightly configured instead of just going on and trying to do it. And there being a a leak. Instead, they say, well, actually, there's a problem here. And their supervisor rather than saying, oh, well, just do the best you can what a real safety culture is, right? Okay, let's have a look at this and and work out how we're going to do this. And we'll take a pause and then work out how to do this. And if we can't work out how to do it, then we'll escalate it up the line because we know that we're going to get support from our leaders uh, from our decision makers on this rather than saying oh well you know we've got to meet the cost and schedule target and so we just want you to get on with it but work safely but get on with it but work safely and so people are in a in a poor safety culture people are in fact pushed in, into corners while in a uh, a good safety culture people feel able to speak up about the difficulties and dilemmas that they're encountering in everyday work which those are the almost invisible risks that people are encountering.
0: And so I know uh, Diane and I think we um, originally sort of engaged in, in paths a, a few years ago when you were working on um, links between safety performance and safety culture and incentive schemes is it possible to share sort of some some of the sort of key learning points from that research? And I know you recently published a paper on that as well, which I can send a link. I can put a link to it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So
1: this is a um, a, a paper about you know, is reward are reward structures um, about safety or are really they are, are about reemphasizing outmoded beliefs. So the, the, the whole idea about incentivization is that. You give people more money to to do more of certain behaviors, right? So for sales, we would have people, uh, a sales team working to get more leads and to get um, more more clients and more sales. However, with safety, the incentivization to do more of things when we link safety to bonuses we're talking about safety metrics of injuries and stoppages and um, for example near misses like spads let's just say for the the sake of argument you know um, signal passer dangers so reduce the number of spads and what that means is that you're rewarding the absence of something you're rewarding rewarding the absence of SPADs and rewarding the absence of injuries. Now, what happens? What happens is from an um, initial study of 27 uh, companies that we interviewed in 2018, what we heard was that re- linking safety metrics to b- bonus, all the companies said it caused underreporting, it caused hiding of incidents. And Therefore, in BP, we thought, oh, okay, well, well, let's do more work on this. Let's actually ask our own people, what what do they think about linking bonus to safety and and what would they suggest? And again, what was heard within BP is that a, a significant proportion of people felt that it disencouraged open reporting and what the view was that there should be a decoupling of um, bonus and injury metrics uh, to promote more openness and more trust within the organisation and in fact BP in 2019 based on this work did decouple injuries and bonus metrics in the organisation.
0: So, but did that lead to the use of other metrics, which would seem to be indicative of good safety behaviours? Or did it lead to the reward scheme being decoupled from um, explicitly focusing on safety, uh, sort of, per se?
1: Well, there was an unexpected piece of information that came in from the interviews, which was, please don't decouple safety from bonuses. If you do, then there could be a risk of safety having less of a priority. And so there were two ideas that moved forward. One, which was to retain a safety metric that was a process safety metric, like an engineering metric, which was to do with the number of spills. So that was retained. And of course, that works across the whole of the company, because although, of course, the company is is transforming into a non-hydrocarbon company. And so we will have to change the metrics. But at the at the moment, there's still a lot of hydrocarbon, both in refineries and in um, in oil and gas production. So that was the, the first thing. The second thing was that there were a lot of suggestions suggestions for leading indicators
0: yeah.
1: um and so there are a number of leading indicators are being tested however there is a view that what would make more sense is to thank people for safety um behaviors by through a, a more immediate reward scheme so in BP, there's a and many companies, there are points reward schemes where you you do something and one one of your colleagues thanks you using a computer system and you get a few points and then you eventually aggregate those points and you can get a a shopping voucher or or, or buy something with it. And that's been very successful within the company. Um, And of course, there's checks and balances where the nomination goes through the person's line manager, etc. But that was something that was seen as being much more constructive, where people are thanked for their safety work or their safety behaviours, like, for example, stopping a job or um, pointing out a particular risk, and that they're thanked with immediacy because part of the issue with linking bonus to safety is the bonus is given the following year. So and there is research to show when it comes to reward and motivation that um, giving small rewards and close to the time of the action is actually much more productive.
0: And so you you mentioned as a sort of alternative indicator um, to an accident or an injury, um, you you mentioned the sort of slips. I guess that's still an outcome outcome. Based measure, but were there? I didn't.
1: There, I sorry, I didn't mention sips. I, I, spills, 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 spills. spills. Yeah.
0: But yeah, but in terms of the sorts of things that people would get the, um, you know, the thanks for that. Is it you know what sort of what sort of things would be deemed to be sort of praiseworthy or point worthy, if you like, within that that kind of framework? What sort of behaviours would be encouraged?
1: Well, anything that creates safety. So, for example, uh, a a very good quality piece of maintenance, um, pointing out a a particular risk, um, stopping a job because there is a concern, um, doing a a post uh, work review with the people who are actually doing the job to say, well, how easy or difficult was the procedure to use? So it's basically all the things that that help us with the detail of understanding risk, which then putting all those things together, those create the safety in the workplace.
0: Thank you. And in the obviously the uh, the current economic climate is 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 difficult um, sort of globally, but you know also in the UK. Um, and I'm aware that you know certainly I, I work predominantly in the rail industry, and I know that. Um, Bonuses and incentives have been under pressure, like everything else. Is there any? I mean, do you do you do you see that as um, as as a a significant thing to to, to be concerned about in terms of promoting the right safety behaviours, or 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 not?
1: Well, so there's that. There's the issue of of bonus and incentives, where I would say that generally speaking the research that we were doing led us to believe that bonus incentive and incentives in the traditional sense of you know a small number of incidents leads to high bonus, that those are counterproductive. Okay. That's, that's the first thing is to consider that those, that we should phase out of those. That's right. the first thing. Okay. So, so if companies have, less bonus money available and they're going to give less bonus money for safety well that in itself would it's a kind of obsolete because it it, rewarding people what you're doing is you're actually rewarding people for not reporting injuries yeah okay so so that's the the first point um and the second point is that when we're talking about point system, uh, uh, the, these small reward systems there, what I've seen companies do is that when they don't have the budget to give people these, um, accumulate these points and then get small gifts, that what they do is they just do thank yous. And so, so for example, a, a company could say, well, we haven't got budget um, in the fourth quarter to award any um, points for this safety incentive scheme Um, but what we could do is we're going to do public thank yous and we'll and you'll get a meet and greet with the ceo for example and so those are the kind of things that i i've seen an adaptation when um, the the company is thinking where where are we going to be able to temporarily um, save money
0: and so um obviously yeah i know i work you know predominantly in rail and transport and then you've got a, a significant background into oil and gas and process sector and one thing those um industries share is um hopefully rare but very significant um safety incidents mm-hmm. um yeah you know a bit, and and one of the things which I'm constantly live to is the fact that although obviously there are still very significant uh, rail accidents, we haven't seen as many major train accidents over the past sort of 10, 15 years uh, with the exception of the Carmont rail accident in, mm-hmm. in Scotland in 2020. We haven't seen as many as we used to. And I, I worry that as the knowledge of those, the practical experience of those moves out of sort of um, industry memory that we kind of, Lose focus on the importance of uh, 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 of safety. Is, is is that is that something that is shared as a concern in the sectors you're working in? And, and if it is, how do you keep an appropriate, um, real uh, view of of the of the, the likely risks, uh, you know, in the current in, in people's minds, so that they understand why they're doing these things and what the their potential implications are.
1: I think it is a big worry in In the rail industry, for example, there was Ladbrook Grove, and then the whole the the whole industry transformed as a result um but yet, sometimes when I look at the, the the public reports of incident investigations i I look at it and I think, oh hang on, wait a second there there's a lot of emphasis being put on the blame on the the people involved. And a lot of the outcome uh, recommendations are to do with training of people and to improve their safety culture. And I think, gosh, I I think that uh, that if I were to look back at the Ladbroke Grove investigation, I would say that that maybe some of those learnings have been forgotten when it comes to, um, in fact, keeping people out of harm's way is that's the first comment i would have and then i would say looking at other industries and the energy industry i would say that that there is a huge amount of effort being put into not forgetting not forgetting the many um incidents that have happened and working with leadership on their skills on um looking beyond in a, in a near miss or in an incident looking beyond the people on the day and their actions and instead asking what influenced those actions and what did i as this senior leader or as a supervisor or as a middle manager what influence did i have upon the workplace setup on the day that led to this incident or near miss happening what what influence did I have on resourcing? What influence did I have on training? What influence did I have on the the, the safety procedures? Uh, what influence did I have on the maintenance? And what influence did I have on the equipment? And that is the emphasis definitely in the oil industry, in terms of accountability being at the managerial level, rather than pushing accountability onto the front line, where the front line actually are the people who have the least influence on the way that the work is set up. And they're the ones who have to make do with all the problem solving and difficulties that they encounter on the day. And so that's a, a enormous effort within the oil industry. And also I see in other industries,
0: well thank you very much Diane that's been a really fascinating conversation it's been great to catch up with you again and th- um thanks for all your um, all your insights on this uh, really important topic
1: Well thank you thank you George for the opportunity to speak and um it's been very interesting to have this conversation